Good morning, everybody. It is uh, good to be here today. It's great to fellowship with you guys. I was here last week. I, I only stayed for the Lord's Supper. My wife and I were going off to our anniversary. We celebrated 21 years. And uh, I know I don't look that old, but it's been a while. I can't believe Brian shared that story. Uh, but it's great to be here with you guys and worship with you. And, it, you know, it's great to hear um, the singles um, just share their story from the singles retreat and to see the way God's working in all of our ministries, in the singles ministry, the campus, the teens, the family ministry. And, um, you know, it's inspiring to hear about people you prayed for for years coming to church and to, to just go to a retreat and have our hearts revived. And, uh, you know, it's just good to be a Christian. And as we probably, you know, a lot of the times as Christians, we, we feel like, man, this is rough, or we, we kind of focus on the rough stuff, right? And sometimes there is rough things going on in our lives, and, and we gotta, we got to focus on God. And it's a really cool time that we've been studying about Jesus this year, and, and studying about the, you know, when Jesus unrolled the scroll of, of Isaiah 61, and, and we've, we've talked about it every week, and I know that the, my presentation is going to look a little different than the one we've been using, because... Uh, I, you know, I went through a shipwreck. My boat crashed uh, in December. And so I'm going to kind of share a little bit about Isaiah 61, a little bit about my boat crashing, because people have asked me to share about it. And I'll share a couple scriptures that I think might help us apply to our life. Um, but I want to talk about abundance, lessons from a shipwreck. And uh, you're probably not going to forget this lesson. I don't know how this thing works. What did I point it at? There we go. Before I get into the Bible, I want to talk about these four guys. This is, we're in flight suits here. They gave these to us. Um, this is Robert. He's the tall guy. And then there's me. I'm the short guy. There's a foster. He's in a blanket. He actually um, didn't get to go up in the helicopter. He got, he was the fourth guy in the water. He was driving the boat. So as they were bringing him to the helicopter, um, the boat showed up and put him in a boat. So he didn't get a flight suit. And that's Greg Cullen. He's a brother down uh, up in uh, the west side. But uh, we're the survivors, and it says the Coast Guard plucked these four boaters from the icy waters off Catalina December 5, 2011. And that's what happened. We were going out lobster diving. I'll tell you more about the story. But the water that night was 56 to 58, and it was the coldest day of the year. It was, it was 38 degrees outside. And uh, we, were, we left the harbor at about dark, and probably about 9 o'clock is when we hit the water. And we were in the water for a couple hours, and it, it was a little cold. But we survived. And before I share anything else or any scriptures, I just want to let you guys know that I feel like I'm one of the most um, blessed people on earth. I have almost died many times. And uh, God has continued to give me grace. And this year we're focused on Jesus. And Jesus is the author and perfecter of life and the perfecter of faith. And I don't always know what he has planned for me, but I know that I keep trying to die and he keeps rescuing me. And uh, so I'm really grateful for the grace of God, not just the forgiveness forgiveness of my sins, but just life. And um, to, to be alive today to tell the story, it, it's kind of fun. It, it's kind of surreal. And as I go through the story, you'll understand why. But anyway, we survived and we are all really grateful uh, to God for the experience. There we go. We've been talking about Isaiah 61, and it's, it's the year of the Lord's favor. And when Jesus unrolled the scroll, I'm going to read from Isaiah 61 here. It's, it's referenced in Luke 4.19, but it's the same verse. And it says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And, and I want you to understand that in the Old Testament days, they believed that the Messiah was going to come and, and, and usher in a new like physical kingdom. 
And it was going to be like a new year of Jubilee. In the Old Testament, there'd be a year of Jubilee where, where the debts would be forgiven and you'd rest and you'd relax and you'd get ready and, you know, slaves would be set free and things like that. So that's kind of what the Jews thought were going to happen. And here he says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, an oil of gladness instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Now, this is a prophecy from Isaiah about Jesus and the day he's bringing. And I want us to focus on a couple of these things, because I know we've had rough weeks and rough months and rough lives and everything in your life is not perfect. I know there's people who are sick in your family and I know that your money situation isn't where it needs to be. And you have some relationship issues and your health issues and you wish you were in better shape and you wish you weren't losing your hair. and You wish you weren't turning 50 like me. In all of that, Jesus came to give us comfort. Have you ever received any comfort from Jesus? I've received a lot. A crown of beauty. I mean, you've got to think about this God himself putting a crown on your head. Saying, not, I, don't, not, I don't just love you. I honor you. And just placing a crown on your head. You've seen the queen, you know, dub people night or whatever like that. Imagine God himself putting a crown on your head. An oil of gladness. In the Old Testament, when they poured oil on you, they were anointing you for a special purpose. That Jesus called you and he's pouring oil on your head for a special purpose. A garment of praise that he wants to put this big purple garment on us with gold trim, right? And just saying, you know, you're awesome. And then have you stand in front of the whole castle of people and say, this guy with the crown, with the garment, with the oil, he's an incredible, she's an incredible person. Honor that person. And this is the idea of the Jews and the Messiah coming to take care of them and, and, and really give them a time of prosperity. They will be called oaks of righteousness. And the word righteous means being right in relationships. Oaks are like these solid trees. They're basically saying that we're going to have these solid relationships. And all of us wrestle with relationships. But through Jesus, we can have good relationships. Honest relationships, relationships in the light where there's forgiveness and there's mercy and there's peace and there's an I'm sorry and there's an I forgive you. And you remember before you were a Christian, did you have much of that? All of this, Jesus came to give us. And, and brothers and sisters, I want us to reflect that we have these things. Being a Christian is a good thing. The year of Jubilee, the, a year where debts are forgiven. This is what the Jews were looking forward to. A year of comfort, celebration, rest, renewal. And for us as Christians, we've got to look at these things and see how they apply to our lives. Our sins have been forgiven. We have peace with the creator of the universe. We have a connection to God, a relationship, where, where we can listen to him. We can listen to him through the word. We can listen to the experiences of our life. through just If we listen for the whisper, we hear him talking. Sometimes we hear him as we're out in the middle of the ocean, praying for a helicopter. A connection to the creator of the universe. Real relationships. Celebration of new life. This is what we have as Christians. And you know, just coming here this morning, I'm just like, before I was a Christian, I had a few relationships and they were very shallow. And the relationships I had with women were, were really self-centered. 
And now as a Christian, I look around, you know, and I, I can hug Andre and Joel and, you know, Brian and I have been friends for years and Mark and I have known each other since college and I'm sitting next to Steve. He's a new friend and, you know, the Wingies were hugging each other and talking and laughing about things and I have so many real relationships. Outside of Christ, I would have none of these. You know, some of the campus students are here and I get to shepherd the campus ministry. What a blessing! My sins are forgiven. I can be real. I can tell you my dirt and you still will love me. I'm not going to do that today. I did that last week. We need to appreciate the life we have in Christ. And sometimes it's so easy to um, think about all the negatives and things we wish were different and stuff like that and lose the appreciation for what we have in Christ. And uh, my wife and I have been doing something together and I want to share with you. We've been sharing at least two things we appreciate with each other every day. And uh, it's easy when you've been married for a while to focus on the things that maybe you don't like about one another and get kind of a subtle irritation towards one another. And it can carry on. And I don't know in your relationship, maybe yours is not like mine, but mine takes a little bit of work. And um, so every day before we go to sleep, if we haven't done anything, we share two things we appreciate about one another. And so I was sharing with one of my friends who is a psychologist, psychiatrist, I don't know, counselor about this. And he goes, yeah, that's that's. Um, that's rewiring your neurons, it's neurotransference. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, if you're always thinking negative thoughts, your brain gets wired to think negative thoughts. And when you think positive thoughts or good thoughts, your brain gets wired to think positive thoughts. And I thought about this in the Bible. It says, you know, enter his courts with thanksgiving. In Luke 11, Jesus, you know, admonishes his disciples or encourages them to come to God and say, hallowed be your name, to praise God. And I want to remind us just real simply Let's appreciate what we have in Christ. And if you want a task on how to do this, I would say before you pray, write out the things you're grateful for and thank God for those before you do the rest of your prayer. Enter his courts with thanksgiving. Praise him for who he is. If you're married, if you have kids, if you have friends, if you have a small group, and probably most of you have all those things. Tell them what you appreciate about them. Think about what you appreciate about when you're praying for them. Don't just pray the things you want them to change. Thank God for the things that, that are good in them. Are you guys with me here? And I know, guys, life's rough. And I'm, I want to talk about the abundant life. And I'm talking about how God spared me and gave me grace and all of that. But, you know, I just think as Christians, sometimes we need to remember that we have it good. And maybe it's rough. But one of the girls at the Women's Day yesterday, and I, I got to go to the Women's Day. Um, she was sharing her testimony. And she said, you know what, sometimes being a Christian is rough. She says, but you know what, my worst day as a Christian is better than my best day in the world. And it was like the crowd was just silent, like, whoa. And it's true, isn't it? We have so much as disciples. And I do want to give a plug for Women's Day. Um, it was amazing. The, the Women's Day in the West Side was amazing. Um, I, if I was a woman, I mean, I was there doing the projection. And, uh, but I was just listening to the testimonies and the songs and the sharing. And had I been a woman sitting there, I would have felt so special. As a non-Christian, I would have felt like, wow, this is amazing. And I, I would have just turned myself in. I need to learn more about God. I, I, I want to follow God. But I, I don't always appreciate Women's Days because generally, you know, there's months of planning and stuff like that. And it's, it's kind of stressful for me. And sometimes I've said less than complimentary things about Women's Day. So in my repentance right now, I'm telling you, I think Women's Days are awesome. I know you guys have one coming up. 
But if you can still get somebody there, get somebody there because I bet every woman that was there thought, I wish I'd have brought X, Y, or Z. Because the testimonies of sharing, the preaching was unbelievable. The singing, um, some of the girls, uh, Kiara sang yesterday, did a fantastic job. It was such a great day. And um, I don't say that lightly. And I apologize to God for saying less than complimentary things in the past. If I was to do it over, uh, I think if I was in college, I'd join the Coast Guard. I love the Coast Guard. This is the, the helicopter or one that's like the one that saved us. And the basket there being lifted up. Um, I, we thank God. We prayed for a helicopter and it came. And I tell you what, that sound. Every time I hear it now, I'm like, thank God. We flew over. Uh, we were out between Catalina and Newport. And we flew uh, as we after we got rescued, um, the guys that were with me were really not doing well. They were like shivering and oxygen and stuff like that. I was feeling fine. And so they were like kind of laying down blankets. There's two blankets. There's three of us in the helicopter. And I didn't need a blanket. I stuck my feet underneath Greg's leg because my feet were kind of cold. I was a little cold. And uh, but I thought I'm going to watch this view. It was a crystal clear night. Santa Ana winds. And so we took off and I could see the oil derricks off Long Beach and we went around PV and I could see all the homes in PV and I thought it's really loud for them and they're mad. It's like midnight, you know, and uh, they're waking up the helicopter, but I didn't care. I was like, wake up, you rich people. Uh, And then we came through Redondo Harbor and I I thought about kayaking there with Steve and just the fun we've had out there and the fish we caught. Uh, Just, you know, when you're catching fish, you're laughing and stuff. And then we came over Manhattan Beach where I used to live and I thought, wake up, Manhattan Beach. And, uh, you know, came over El Segundo and then came into LAX in the helicopter. And I'd never been in a helicopter. And I was like, this is a free helicopter ride. I was enjoying it. Before that, it, it wasn't as fun. Where's Catalina? So here's the islands off the coast of uh, California. You can see Santa Catalina Island there. It's the closest one to us. And I don't know if you can see Santa, Ro- Santa Cruz Island over there. It's a little bit up above. But um, two boats in the last week um, sank off Santa Cruz Island. And four guys on each boat, and all eight of them died. I don't know if you saw on the news, um, but I was reading about one this morning, and uh, they didn't have life vests, they didn't have wetsuits, and they didn't have a, a, a radio, uh, like a handheld radio. They just had the radio on the boat, so if the boat capsizes and you can't get to your radio, then you can't signal for help. And you've only got a couple hours in the water. The California waters are kind of cold. They're in the 50s uh, before hypothermia sets in and you go unconscious and die. And so when the, when the Coast Guard got there, they were all dead. And I thought, how blessed we are. And uh, Ty Avea was one of the Coast Guard guys that I'd become friends with. And uh, he was the swimmer, the guy that comes down in the water and puts you in the basket. And he was telling Robert afterwards and Robert was asking, well, how many people when you go out at night do you actually save? You know, how many people are alive? And he didn't want to answer the question. And he pressed him. And Ty said, well, I've been doing this seven years. And in all the night rescues, we've never pulled anyone out of the water alive. We roll bodies into the baskets. It's it's not a fun job. We're generally rolling bodies into the basket. And he said, you guys won the lottery. You got a second chance at life. Enjoy your second life. And uh, so we're we're really blessed. But we were in between Newport Beach and Catalina. Um, It's about 27 miles between. We were 15 miles off Newport, 12 miles from Catalina. Too far to swim. Um, and we didn't even have our wetsuits on a couple hours later. We were putting them on in the water and um, we weren't even done doing that yet. But what does Catalina look like? This is the island we're going to. And why were we going there? We're going to get lobsters. I don't know if you like lobster, but I like lobster. 
And I would say one thing to do before you die is catch a lobster and stick it in a pot of hot water live and hear it scream and then eat it. It's a great experience. You haven't lived. I mean, guys, all the food you eat gets killed. All right? You haven't experienced life until you actually do it. But you, but you can get lobsters here, but you get really big ones out there. So we were going out to go diving for lobsters. And this was the prize. We were going to limit. Um, we were all going to try to get seven lobsters apiece. And the place we were going is renowned for at night. And you go at night because they all come out at night to feed. And you shine the flashlight on them and they freeze and then you grab them. You trick them. And you stick them in your bag and then you grab another one. And when you get, you know, seven apiece, you come up and then you celebrate and you come home and eat lobster. Dip it in butter. It's really good. You know, what were you doing out there in the middle of the night? Well, we were going for lobster. Why were you at night? Because you can't get them during the day. So I answered all of your questions right there. <laughs> this was the boat. Uh, it was one of the guy's boats. It was insured. And uh, it was insured for the depreciated value, if you understand what that means. He couldn't buy a new one with the money he got. But that's what the boat looked like. It's 26 foot. It's designed for the sea. It's made out of uh, fiberglass and Kevlar. And it costs about $110,000. And if you fill it with water, it sinks. <laughs> this is the cabin. And um, in that cabin, there wasn't a table there, but we had the, the tanks there. And I was laying on one, one of those couches, and, and uh, Greg Cullen was laying on the other one when the boat went under. And the, the hatch, the door was mostly closed, and it got jammed in that position. And so when we went under the water, um, getting out of that cabin was really scary. Help, we'll go back. Here's a day of celebration. This is a couple of days later. We went down to thank the Coast Guard and we brought, we gave him a plaque and some food and stuff like that and thanked him. And these are some, the, the girl was the pilot. You see her there. And there's Greg Foster and Robert and I in the middle. And then, uh, the guy that lifted the hoist is the guy in the green jacket and Ty Avayal. The guy going like this is the guy, the swimmer. And he's from the town that I lived in in Kailua, Oahu. And, uh, we live just right down the street from one another. He has the same boat that I had in Hawaii. Like same boat, same engine, same setup, everything. So we, we really collaborated on fishing and uh, safety and stuff like that. So now I feel like I know more about water safety than just about anybody. So you ask me, am I going to fish anymore? And I'm like, absolutely. I'm just going to be safer. This is the basket. Um, they tell you when you get in the basket, they're like, how are you doing? And you're like, it's loud. It's real loud. There's 300 miles per hour wind coming down on you below the helicopter. And the guy's yelling in your ear and his, his head is right there. And he's like, how are you doing? And I'm like, fine. He's like, Put your hand under your feet. Do not grab the basket. And I'm like, all right. And, but Greg, this is Greg. He's showing you how to do it the right way. He didn't hear that. So he had his hands on the outside of the basket. So when the thing comes up, it crashes up inside the helicopter. So his hands were all cut up. When he got in the helicopter, he was all bloody. His face was blue and his hands were red. It was a weird, purplish concoction of things. But that's the actual basket we went up in. And um, I didn't even care. I, hit the, I went up and it was like super cold. I'm like, I don't care. I'm living. And hit the side of the helicopter. I'm like, I don't care if I fall back in. I'm living. It was really cool. Well, I mean, before, I, before the helicopter came, I was scared to death. Once it came, I was like, this is going to be like a movie. Uh, I lost it. There's more to this slideshow. Is that it? Okay. So some lessons we learned. 
uh, first is be prepared. We were saved. The, the, the Coast Guard put out a, a press release saying that we were saved because we were prepared. Um, we had a radio, a handheld radio. We had wetsuits that we put on in the water. We had life vests. And um, we, as the boat, the boat sank in about two minutes. We had, in the two minutes, somebody said, grab your life vest, which we did. We didn't have them on. Somebody said, grab your wetsuits. You'll have to put them on in the water, which we did. We didn't have them on. And um, we uh, grabbed the, the radio. Actually, the radio was on Foster's back, and so he had the radio. So we, we're saved because, you know, God, but partly because we're prepared. And so what I've done is I've thought through what happened, and, you know, I'll share the story with you guys. But um, I wanted to get some lessons we might be, uh, be able to apply to our lives as well. And before I move on, I just, um, I'll just share this story real quickly and then I'll kind of share more as we go through. But we were, uh, the four of us were planning on going lobster diving and uh, Foster had gotten this boat and we were going to go visit all the different islands that you saw in the earlier photograph and over the next year. Like every other month, we we're going to go visit one of them and go lobster fishing or white sea bass fishing or whatever, but just kind of have some man ventures, you know, some adventures and enjoy being men in life, right? And, um, and this particular day, we had we'd gone down to spend the night at Foster's house in Orange County, and we we're going to go out lobster diving uh, one in the day, then circumnavigate Catalina, and then do another one at night. That was our plan. And um, during the morning, we woke up. There was a gale warning, and so with a gale warning, you're not supposed to take a 26 foot boat into the water. So we called off the trip. So we said, well, let's just go cruise around the harbor and have lunch in the harbor. So we went out of the harbor, and the wind was hardly blowing. And so we took it outside the harbor and went down towards Laguna Beach and back. And it was really calm and it was hardly any wind. The, the flags were dead flat. There was no wind. But now, uh, and the gale warning was off. It was now just a small craft advisory. And we'd all agreed we'll never go out in the ocean with a small craft advisory or a gale warning. You just don't do that. It's stupid. But there was a small craft advisory um, and there wasn't much wind. And we're out there in the ocean. It's calm. And one of the guys says, we should just go. And I say, well, what if the wind picks up later? And the, the other guy says, I drove all the way down from San Francisco. You know, I'm not going to get to go for months. And the boat owner's like, I'm, I can't go out again for a couple months. Let's do it. And I'm like, mm, I, I didn't want to be a wimp. Because I like killing lobsters. You know, I want to be the tough guy. But I was the voice of, well, I've lived in California a long time. And the Santa Ana's can pick up pretty quick. So we went in, got our stuff. Um... Got, one guy needed a fishing license, and we got a couple of lights and stuff, and then we had dinner, and we went out, and so we decided to go again. It was a small craft advisory. I had said I'd never do it, but I didn't want to be the guy that didn't get invited out on the next trip, so I went. And as we're going out the harbor, the, the, the wind is stiffening, and the flags are starting to blow straight out to sea, Santa Ana's. And I say to the guy, I'm like, you know, if there's any, if we want to turn back, it might be pretty rough in the middle of the channel, because the wind's picking up, and it might pick up more. If there's any time to turn back, it's now. And he's like, ah, oh, we don't want to turn back. It's like firing a rocket ship and not letting it take off. And I'm like, uh, well, we should pray. <laughs> like, pray for what? And I said, well, we need to pray for God to protect us. He says, well, I believe God just, you know, he answers prayers for wisdom. And, you know, we should pray for wisdom that God, if, we, if something happens, we'll do the right thing. I'm like, well, I've lived long enough to know God saved me from a lot of things. He's answered specific prayers. And we had this debate, spiritual debate, over whether God's acting on your individual prayers or whether he just sets everything in motion and answers your prayers for wisdom. We're talking about prayer. Interesting conversation, driving out the harbor with the flags on. 
uh, we start, we get out there and it's a little rougher and we're getting splashed. So I go underneath the cabin and um, we're going pretty quick because, you know, you, you do the, t- the trim of the boat to get it to go the right speed and get it as calm as possible. So we're trying to get it calm and uh, we're going out there. We get to the middle of the channel and it gets pretty rough. We're like hitting waves. Boom, boom, boom. And I, I yell up to the guys. I'm like, hey, guys, can we slow down a little bit? The lobsters are going to be there when we get there. And they talk about, you know, the guy, the, the first mate guy, he's a boat, professional boat captain, he's licensed, and they talk about how fast to go, and like, I'm like, I'm thinking in my head now, I lived in Hawaii, and I, I navigated a lot rougher waters than this, and whenever it was rough, I slowed down, I'd go over each wave individually, I didn't bounce off the tops of them. And yet I'm thinking about how to, I didn't want to go up there because I was going to get wet, so I'm thinking about my own comfort, I'm just telling you my mind. But I'm thinking, how am I going to go up there and ask these guys to slow this thing down? Because I don't feel good about it. And right about then, boom, we came to a dead stop. The boat's nose is in the water like this. Water's rushing into that cabin. And I'm thinking we're under the sea like we, we had nosedived into a wave. And the boat came to a complete stop. It was full of water. Water was coming in the cabin. And I was like, is this a dream? And uh, it was a cold dream. And so I took a breath as water was rushing in. It was like Titanic water coming in. And the, the door had jammed. Um, I, it actually had been closed. Had it been closed, we wouldn't have been able to get out. I had just opened it to talk to the guys and get some air to, to say, hey, can we slow down? So it was open a little bit, just enough where I could talk to them. And um, so Greg had gotten out. And um, when I kind of came to realization, he was already getting out. I don't know if I was unconscious for a second or what, but... I was under the water. I said, take a deep breath. Because I thought, because the boat was like at this angle, the nose down, that we were under the water. So I'm thinking, i got to take a deep breath because when I come out, i got to swim to the surface. And so I take a breath. I come out and I realize the boat's starting to, to right itself. And when I came up, the boat was full of water, like up to our waist. And I'm like, you got a bilge pump. A bilge pump pumps water out. I said, turn it on. So we put a light on it. We turned it on. And the boat was like full. I said, drive forward to try to clear some water. And we drive forward and the nose was going under the water. Stop. Don't do that. Another wave. So any water that had gone down to the bow or the engine compartment, you know, that we could have bailed. And uh, one of the guys says, grab your mask. So I've got this little mask, you know, bailing water. And there's probably 5,000 gallons of water in this boat. And I said, this isn't going to work. Keep doing it. And uh, um, so I'm looking out towards the back, bailing with my mask. And uh, the engine compartment starts going under the surface of the water. And uh, I said, guys, we're sinking. Um, I said, uh, get the radio. It's on the e-perv. I don't remember what was said, but um, no, we're not. I'm like, yeah, we're sinking. Look, look. And then somebody says, grab the life vest. Somebody else says, grab your wetsuit. So I found my dive bag and, you know, the hood thing floated away. Do I need that? I, I probably should have got that. I didn't. But I grabbed my wetsuit. I grabbed my life vest and the seat was floating next to me. And I, I, I hugged the seat. And I stepped into the water and the boat was like this. When I stepped in about a minute later, it was like that. And it bobbed in the ocean for like 15 minutes and the lights were on. The running lights were on. It was like this blue green lights under the water bobbing. It was really surreal. Some of the guys didn't want to look at the boat. And I was like, I want to look at that boat and watch it sink. And then when it sank, I said, guys, it's sinking. And, you know, and when I hit the water, I, I said, I hit the I hit the water and I let go of my stuff and I splashed the water a few times and said some things that I regretted later and apologized for. And one of the guys says, what's the matter? And I'm like, well, we just sunk a boat. The water's freezing. It's cold. We're not going to get any lobsters. And this is not what I planned for the evening. 
Later, he asked me to pray when I was in a more sane state. So we tried to get the radio working, and he unwrapped the plastic, and um, his Foster's radio, and so he, ah, it works, like after like 10 minutes, 15 minutes, he finally got it working, it works, it's working, it's working, and I think I have my life vest on now, but the wetsuit's still in my hand, I, you know, we were still trying to do the radio thing, and so we hear the static, and he's, he's mayday, 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 four boaters in the water, boat sinking off Catalina, 12 miles off of North Point, and whatever, and then he goes, and he says it again. And then you hear this, San Diego, like somebody heard something was Bruce plying, and then the radio died. So we didn't know if they heard our message. At this point, we're 15 minutes, 20 minutes in, I don't know. Guys, we've got to get our wetsuits on or we're going to freeze to death. Um, hypothermia in 58 degree water, 56, basically they say you have one to two hours before you're unconscious. When you're unconscious, it's hard to breathe in the water. Uh, so we decide we're going to get our wetsuits on. One at a time, we'd hold the life vest or whatever the person had, and they'd put on a wetsuit. Well, putting on a wetsuit, a scuba wetsuit, which is thick, on, on dry ground when you have something to push against is difficult. In the water with nothing to push against and water splashing over your head and, and gas in the water and cold, it, it was, and your hands are you know, shaking and numb, and it, it, was, it was radical. So I helped Robert and I helped Greg and then Greg had put us on backwards where his hood thing was facing back instead of forward. So I put it on backwards. I'm like, what do you mean? How do you do that? And he's like, I put it on backwards. I'm like, and at this point, like, I'm just shivering and I'm like, I'd help two guys. It's probably an hour, hour and 15 minutes in. And I've like, Greg, I, I got to put on my own wetsuit, dude. I'm going to die. And I said, Foster, you got to, Foster was holding the radio and he had an EPIRB thing up, up into the water, up out of the water and, you know, hoping that it would be revived. I don't know. Um. And so I said, Foster, you know, let me grab your stuff. He didn't want to let go of the. He didn't want to let go of him. I'm like, give me your stuff. Help Greg. I got to put my wetsuit on. So I, I got my wetsuit on. And uh, then Greg took his off, put his back on. And then um, somewhere in there, um, you stop shivering. And that's, that, that's not good. That means you're, if you hit 80, you're asleep, your body temperature. So we're probably in the mid, mid low 80s when you stop shivering. And so I stopped shivering. Ah, this isn't good. Um, and so we're trying, and then one of the guys keeps drifting off and I'm calling, Hey, Robert, come back. Where, what are you doing? And, you know, and he doesn't talk for a while. You can't see cause there's waves, you know, you can't see each other and you drift away from each other. And I'm, I'm saying, guys, we got to stay together. I was trying to keep us together. And, um, <laughs> Foster goes, yeah, <laughs> that stuff we were talking about prayer. He goes, that's a bunch of hogwash. I don't think that's what he said. He said, we need to pray again. Tony, you had a good prayer, you know, coming out. You need to pray for us again. And I don't remember the prayer now, but at this point I was like, we all got together. Robert came in and I'm just like, God, send a helicopter. Save us. Intervene. We don't need wisdom right now. We need intervention. (laughs) And we were under the flight path of John Wayne Airport. So these Big planes would be, you know, 10,000 feet overhead, and the low planes would be like 1,500 feet. And their lights are right there. And so we have one dive light, and we're trying to, one guy had a dive light, and we're shining them. They keep flying over, and uh, nobody's stopping for us. I don't know what, maybe, I don't know what they were thinking, but we were thinking we needed help. Uh, and then I started hearing helicopters, and it wasn't. It was a nothing. It was a plane, and, you know, you're, you're cold. You start hearing things. And uh, so... 
a couple hours in, we're finally getting Foster's wetsuit on. And after about an hour, you're thinking, if they heard us, the helicopter would be here. It would take 20 minutes, half an hour to get a helicopter. We could see Newport. We could see Long Beach. We could see Redondo. We could see Catalina. Clear night. And there was no helicopters coming. We didn't see any boats or helicopters. And after an hour and a half or so, um, I thought we were dead. The guys were going, we're going to swim to Catalina. And I knew, because I knew what hypothermia was, that two of the guys thought we could swim to Catalina. Those are guys that didn't really know about hypothermia. The two of us that did realized we're not going to make it to Catalina. We knew that we were close to being unconscious already. And so my thoughts were, if one of these guys falls asleep, I think I can hold him out of the water. In hopes a helicopter will come. If two guys fall asleep, maybe two of us can hold them. If three guys fall asleep, can I hold three guys out of the water? If I fall asleep, will they hold me out of the water? What's it going to feel like to fall asleep in the middle of the ocean? What's it going to feel like to go home and be with God? And my, my spiritual thoughts were, I don't understand why God wouldn't want me to be there for my wife and my kids to watch them grow up. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. Today's not a good day to die. And I thought about it, probably no day is a good day to die, you know, from your perspective. <laughs> but I, I really thought we were goners. And they said, like, we're going to swim to Catalina. Okay, I'll swim with you to Catalina. I mean, I was surrendered. I'll swim with them. I knew we weren't going to make it. But there's a current, and, you know, it's 12 miles. We would have been 20 miles south of Catalina by the time we got there. After about 20 hours of swimming, and hypothermia takes an hour or two to get you. So I knew we weren't going to make it, but I was going to swim with my friends. I figured, you know, we'll die swimming together. Talk about it in heaven on the other side. Um, but I was troubled by that. Like, I didn't seem like the good, a good day to die. And then I just, I got this incredible peace. And uh, I thought about how much I love my family. And then I thought, God's love is so much greater than that. And if today's my day to go, it's within his plan. And he's totally got my family in their hands. One of the guys was a non-Christian, and I thought, what would it be like to face God as a non-Christian? And I thought, God is so much more loving than me, so I'm sure that whatever happens to him is going to be way more just and way more loving than I can even imagine. Even the idea of being a Christian or non-Christian, I just, I just had this feeling that God's love is so amazing that no matter where you're at with God when you get to the other side... That even if you're not going to be with him in heaven forever, whatever the punishment is, it's just. And you'd be going, yeah, this is good. And you did it in a loving way. Just God's love just hit me. And I was totally at peace. And they're like, let's swim to Catalina. I'm like, OK, cool. Hey, Foster, get your wetsuit on. You're, you know, you got you got to get your wetsuit on. And then someone said, I hear a helicopter. And I didn't want to look because I'd heard like four helicopters and I didn't see him. And so I didn't want to get disappointed, you know, hope. Deferred makes a heart sick, and I didn't want to look for a helicopter again and not see one. So I didn't even turn my head. And then the second guy says, I hear it too. And I didn't turn my head. And the third guy says, I see it. I finally turned my head. And this helicopter about, you know, 100 feet off the water coming to us with these lights. And it was so encouraging. I was like, yes, they're here. And then this helicopter, it doesn't come straight at us. It flies like 100 yards to the right of us and keeps going. I'm like, what? We're all, you know, we're yelling, we're screaming. There's one light, we're shining at them. And they, they keep going and they go like a couple miles away. And then they start making these 
patterns up there. And like, they didn't see us. We have a light. They got us just, we see every light at Catalina and every light on those old decks and every light. How do they not see our light? And we were, you know, at that point, happy but mad. Like, did they see us? And can you imagine? Like, don't you think they saw us? And we're like talking to each other. And, and so then they come by like 200 yards to the right and they go past us again and they go down about a mile and we see them going back and forth like they didn't. And we're uh, yelling at these guys. And then they're down below us and then they point their lights. It's like a mile, maybe a half mile, a mile. They lower the helicopter. We see it lowering down towards the water and the lights are shining right on us and it slowly is coming towards us. And I was like, they saw us. And what they had done was they went to the original GPS coordinates and uh, where they had to go and looking for any bodies in between us and them. They saw us. Or they saw one of us. They thought one was alive and the three were gone. Um, they were surprised to see one alive. But anyway, um, then, they, then they went down to the debris field and then they had too much gas. So they're burning off some gas going back and forth. And it might have been 15, 20 minutes. I don't know. It seemed like an eternity. Because we didn't know if they saw us or not. We thought, you know, what if they do this flight pattern, run out of gas and go back in and don't. We knew that we were like a couple hours in. It was over. You know, we were two of us knew we were moments away from being unconscious. Um, but they came and they lowered it. And this is, you know, computer thing. They lowered it. And we found out later and about 50 feet above the water. Then we see the, the basket being dropped. No, first the guy comes down on a cable, the swimmer, and he gets in the water, and then they lower the basket. When they, you know, it's like when they're lowering the guy, you know, you know they saw you. And so afterwards, like, why didn't you signal us to let you know we saw you were there? I go, oh, that would have been a good idea. <laughs> we're not used to finding live people, you know. But, um, and then we're like, this is like a movie. We're going to get a free helicopter ride. This is awesome. Thank you, God. I mean, we were so fired up. And we went in the helicopter ride, Foster went in the boat, and, you know, we've, we've uh, met afterwards and kind of talked about it, and we, we thanked, we, we brought some stuff to the guys, and the, two of the people came to church with us, and we thanked them uh, two days later, or that weekend was for church, and we gave them a plaque for their uh, LAX helicopter place. And we went down to San Pedro and saw the boat and we walked through the boat and we thanked them. We brought them like, you know, a bunch of stuff from Costco food. We wouldn't accept gifts. So we just brought a bunch of food for the base, you know, a bunch of like 18, 19, 20 year old kids saved our lives. You know, it's crazy. A bunch of young, like you're being saved by these guys that they look like they should be in high school. But I'm thankful for them. They're training. Um, so what do we learn? That's the story. God saved us. Amen. Um, be prepared. We were prepared. I want to share a scripture. It says the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will be will disappear with the roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt with the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of the righteous. So then, dear friends in South Bay, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. And, I, you know, I, I share this verse because I think that, in the, you know, had we not been prepared, we would have been toast. And in our lives, I mean, I don't know where you're at spiritually, whether you're a Christian doing well, a Christian struggling or not yet a Christian. Um, I think this verse is good for all of us that we all need to make sure we're right with God. 
We need to be found spotless, blameless and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Some people in here have been resisting God for a long time and God's been really patient with you. And he's not being patient because he doesn't love you. It's because he does love you. And God's, you know, God is patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And God was very patient with me as a non-Christian. And God's been very patient with me as a Christian. God's patience saved my life out there at the sea. But I want to, I want to admonish you, you know, just yesterday, this last week, the chaplain at, at Pepperdine, he's a spiritual mentor up there, just like I am for the students. He was running on the beach in Malibu. In his 40s, early 40s, and he had a heart attack and died. Four people last week off, you know, eight people last week off the Santa Cruz Islands of Santa Barbara. Their boat sank and they capsized and they died. I almost died. You can almost die. You could die. And I would say before you die, be prepared. It's a good thing to do. Send a mayday. You know, we said mayday, mayday, four divers, you know, four boaters down. And that you actually say the word mayday, mayday, that means you're in trouble. We said it twice. Um, we didn't know if they heard it, which was a bummer. Um, made us pray, <laughs> made us rely on God. Um, but had we not sent a mayday, we wouldn't have made it. And there's times in our lives as Christians, as people where we need help and we need to send a mayday. Uh, sometimes we need we need help from brothers. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. Guys, we need each other. The difference of Old Testament Christianity and New Testament Christianity is they didn't really help each other that much. When they were in the desert struggling, they didn't encourage each other to remain faithful. We're called to encourage each other to remain faithful, to avoid sin. And as well, we need to send a mayday to God. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. God answered our prayer and sent the helicopter. There was a system there where they triangulated the radio signal. It's called Rescue 21 that's new, just out for a year or so. Not every Coast Guard station has it. Um, if Rescue 21, if they didn't have the technology, we wouldn't have been saved. And I was telling the guys afterwards that I believe that God could have heard our prayer, gone back in time, helped the developers develop Rescue 21 so that we could be saved that night. I think God's without time and without space. Like, I can't believe that. You know, God said, you know, I totally believe God could do that. When I raised my hand and said, God, I need to find somebody that's following you. Show me. And the next day I ran into a disciple and like both of us were four, four hours from home. I think God went back in time and coordinated that event because he's without time. Without, And you may not understand that, but we need to devote ourselves to prayer because God, God is working. And we need to be watchful and thankful. And I want you to know that God answered our prayers and I am thankful. The third thing, do not drift. We were drifting from one another and we had to really make efforts to stay together. And as Christians, we can drift as well. And it says we must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. And I won't read the rest of it, but this is Hebrews this is kind of the theme of Hebrews. He was talking to the to the um, Jewish Christians and, and admonishing them to, to hold on to the word and to hold on to Jesus as, as the Messiah, as as the as the one to follow and hold on to, to what they believe so they didn't drift. And I really want to admonish us guys, don't drift away in your faith. You know, it's not an it's not a command to have time with God every day, but you need time with God every day. I mean, God commanded Joshua, right? Meditate on my word day and night. Be careful to do everything in it. 
so that you could be prosperous and successful. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears. If you've gotten away from spending time with God every day, find a half an hour in your day to spend time with God every day. Don't drift from God. Keep hope alive. One guy was hoping to swim to Catalina because it's his boy's birthday the next day and he didn't want his boy waking up hearing about a dead dad. One of the guys wanted to swim there by himself because he wanted to be, he was the non-Christian, he wanted to be recognized as a hero. Even if he died, maybe there'd be a plaque in his honor. Um, another guy thought, I'm going to swim there. I'm a good swimmer. I grew up swimming and, you know, I'm stronger than all these guys. He was the guy on oxygen. He actually wasn't that strong. Um, and my hope, we all were hoping for different things. Uh, my hope was a helicopter. I knew without it I was dead. Um, and my hope was, you know, I, I felt very at peace with wherever we were going. We were going into the hands of God. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. And I don't advocate having near-death experiences but I've had a few. And I really believe that Paul felt many times that he was going to die. He was shipwrecked a couple of times. He was in stocks. He was, you know, flogged, stoned. He felt the sentence of death. And um, when you're there, you really get a reliance on God. Like, God, you're enough. That's it. And, you know, I don't advocate doing what I've done, but I do want to encourage you to think about how God is enough. And we, we need to set our hope on God. Don't set your hope on the things of the world because every single thing you hope in in the world will disappoint you at some. Even Christians, guys, we're imperfect. We'll hurt each other. I'm in the church and people should be perfect. Well, people are saved by God's grace and no one's perfect. Jesus would not entrust himself to man for he knew it was in a man. I mean, whatever good you can get from your relationships, get them. They're great. But nothing compares to God. God is faithful, always faithful. People will let you down. They don't mean to. They're imperfect. We need to put our hope in God, he will continue to deliver us. Lessons learned in review. Be prepared. Study your Bible. Do the Bible study series. Turn yourself in if you're not doing well. Whatever it is, be prepared to, to face God. Don't drift. Don't drift in your faith. If you've been drifting and not really being committed to God, you know, prioritizing the world over God, not spending time with God, spend time with God, devote yourself to God. Don't drift from God. Send a mayday. If you're in trouble, get help. Ask a friend and ask God for help. God listens. People listen. And keep up alive. Never lose hope that God has a great plan and purpose for your life. And he's in control of it. Guys, thank you so much. We have an abundant life. Let's enjoy it.